welcome to the Web Policy Talk podcast recorded live at the Impact and Policy Research Institute Impri New Delhi Namaste and greetings I am Mahima Kapoor researcher and assistant editor at Impri Impact and Policy Research Institute, Prabhav Evam Niti Anusandhan Sansthan, Nadirli, welcome you all to the IMPRI hashtag Web Policy Talk. Since the opening up of the economy through liberalization and globalization, after the 1991 crisis, the composition, volume, and value of India's foreign trade has undergone substantial changes. To understand these structural changes, and its implications for the indian economy we have gathered for a talk under the series the state of foreign trade hashtag talking trade with professor aradhna agarwal on growth diversification and upgrading of india's exports in post reforms period some policy implications this deliberation is being organized by the impri center for the study of finance and economics I feel honored to introduce the chair Professor Mukul Ashar former professor Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy National University of Singapore welcome sir I feel privileged to introduce the speaker Professor Aradhna Agarwal ma'am is a professor in Indian Business Studies at Copenhagen School Business School Denmark a PhD from Delhi School of Economics She has a long experience in university teaching and research including the University of Delhi and some of the premier policy think tanks in India including IEG NCARI ICRR and IRS She is also an international consultant and has worked with prestigious international agencies like ADB UNDP World Bank UNESCO UNIDO and UNCLAD She has served as visiting fellow at the IMF and Korean Institute of Economic Policy and visiting professor at Kobe University Japan and has published in leading international and national journals newspapers and books in addition to her monographs on anti-dumping and special economic zones she has presented her research in several countries across the world welcome ma'am We are fortunate to have Professor Shahid Ahmed as the discussant for the session. Sir is a professor, Department of Economics, Jamia Millia Islamia, New Delhi. Welcome, sir. We have with us Dr. Nalin Bharti as the moderator. Sir is an associate professor, Humanities and Social Sciences, Indian Institute of Technology, Patna. Welcome, sir. Now I invite Dr. Bharti to take the proceedings further, and we look forward to learning from our esteemed gathering. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, uh, first of all, I would like to welcome uh, Professor Aradhna Agrawal for joining this uh, web talk. Uh, this is very important moment for all of us when uh, the Trade Minister of UK is uh, uh, coming India for uh, discussing uh, discussing. FTA foreign trade agreement uh, and uh, 
Uh, India has signed many foreign trade, ag uh, uh, free trade agreement, uh, sorry uh, for the foreign trade agreement. Uh, it's free trade agreement and India has signed a comprehensive economic uh, partnership agreement also SEPA with many countries. So uh, some of uh, our uh, research scholar has done uh, uh, the study on SEPA and also on FTA. And uh, uh, some of the results are encouraging for us because uh, FTA uh, and uh, the bilateral trade between India and Japan uh, and bilateral trade in other FTA shows that there is improvement uh, in information technology uh, uh, trade. And uh, also there are improvement in terms of services. While in case of manufacturing, India has to travel a lot. Uh, uh, since Professor Mukul Ashar has also joined uh, just now, so I would also like to uh, invite Professor Ashar uh, to, to give uh, a overview and his, his own inaugural remark for this web talk. Professor Ashar. Thank you. My apologies for being late. Some technical issues with my computer. Uh, let me start by thanking Emery, uh, Director Arjun Kumar, Professor Nalin uh, for inviting me to this uh, uh, webinar by Professor Aradna Agrawal. Uh, this is a very timely topic. Uh, um, I am always amazed at how IMPRI keeps on coming time after time with very relevant and high quality seminars at frequent intervals. I'm going to make my uh, remarks uh, in terms of four points. First, when we analyze uh, exports or uh, more broadly, uh, international uh, trade. Uh, in assessing a contribution of a country globally in terms of exports and trade, the absolute size is also relevant. Something that is often ignored in terms of looking at exports to GDP ratio, some subset and saying whether you are part of that or not. Let me give you some, some figures. Uh, 2021, export of both merchandise and services by countries. These are obviously estimated figures. So a lot of the actual data is there as well. Rest of it is estimated. India's 2021 merchandise exports are projected to be 400 billion US dollars. Services exports are projected to be 232.1. So the total trade, total exports alone are 632.1. Now let me put that in comparison. They are, these India's figures are uh, 2.6 times 
that of Indonesia in terms of export, total exports, 1.8 times that of Vietnam and 1.3 times that of Taiwan. All these three countries are, the perception is that they are somehow much more internationally open, integrated than India is. But that is not really the case once you look at the absolute size. Uh, the next, uh, in terms of my sample, South Korea had 738 billion. So India is in, within striking distance if it grows faster uh, of uh, South Korea, though Germany, USA, China are way above India and uh, it will take considerable time to narrow the gap uh, between them and India. The total trade, this is just exports. We have to take imports, which will be, uh, this is 632, imports will be about 680 uh, together. So we are talking about 1300 billion. And India is going to approach 2 trillion in few years. 2 trillion is very significant in global contribution to employment, to, to international trade, uh, and so on. So this whole perception that India is not open is something that needs to be rethought. Second, India is the ninth largest exporter of agricultural commodities. Uh, its ongoing initiatives, for example, mega food parks and others are likely to keep it, uh, to help in improving this rank further and in significantly contributing to food security of many countries as a reliable and trustworthy partner. It's an important part of global integration that India is doing in terms of food security. Third, India has shifted its economic agreements as I caught the last part of Professor Bharti. That's uh, what he was, uh, the gist of it was that its economic agreements strategies towards those who can provide more balanced treatment of goods, services, investments, and flow of professional and technical personnel. Also, those countries which have got critical energy and other resources that India needs. So India is about to conclude a economic agreement with UAE. It has close relations with Saudi Arabia. Um, indeed, uh, India was the largest exporter of agricultural product to Saudi Arabia in the second half of 2021, replacing Brazil. Uh, it is also negotiating with UK, Russia, Australia, Brazil, Japan, and so on. Fourth, national security and economic diplomacy, which were never sort of thought of together and now being thought of together. And one example is Quad, uh, 
India, Japan, Australia, and the United States, and the different arrangements that Quad is making. So uh, India is now looking for the first time since independence to an external sector as a critical engine of growth, which India never did before. And that augurs quite well along with all the other initiatives. So India's external sector now has to be looked at in a very different light than what has tradi traditionally been the case. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much, Professor Asad, for uh, these uh, very, very in-depth uh, comparative data about India with other countries uh, in Asia. And uh, now I think uh, uh, we should we should uh, invite Professor Aratna Agrawal for her lecture. And after that, uh, uh, we'll also uh, invite Professor Saeed Ahmad for his, his point. Uh, now I invite Professor Agrawal for her lecture and then uh, we'll take up some of the questions also. Thank you, Madam. Uh, hello, good morning, everyone. Uh, first of all, I would like to thank IMPRI Director, uh, Professor Arjun Kumar for inviting me uh, to this uh, talk. Uh, it's really a pleasure to, to present my uh, findings uh, with this gathering. Uh, and I hope that I will myself learn a lot and I must thank Professor uh, Mukul Asher for very interesting points. In fact, uh, one of these points at least I will be uh, taking up in my, uh, in my presentation. Uh, uh, the present, this paper actually has a, a very focused view of uh, exports where I am basically uh, focusing on the kind of export push the kind of export focus that India should adopt at this time. Uh, I'm not much talking about uh, the, the free trade agreements because I think that for free trade agreements to succeed, the countries must have of uh, competitiveness of its exports uh, because, uh, because these FTAs are not always a sort of, uh, you know, uh, positive, positive gain for everyone there are losers as well. So one must understand these things before, because there is a lot of push on uh, RCEP and many other uh, FTAs, but I think that it is very important to have one's own competitiveness to really succeed in these, uh, in these uh, agreements. So my focus is on what should be the focus of India's exports. And I have a sort of, uh, I start with the motivation of this study Yeah, how did I get the motivation for this study? Uh, in fact, uh, when I was in Denmark two years ago, uh, before COVID actually, I found that there was a new debate that started in India and there was a lot of push uh, to focus on labor intensive, low skilled exports and manufacturing. There were uh, some in the power corridors of India, many people were actually pushing. They were saying that India should uh, should actually try to push, uh, try to uh, focus on these exports because India has comparative advantage in in the uh, in uh, abundant labor, and uh, because India's shares are not growing in those sectors where there is comparative advantage, India is losing. 
it is export dampening and it is growth dampening. And I also found that there was a comparison with Bangladesh. It was shown that how Bangladesh has been progressing or growing much faster, which is the fact uh, than India in uh, current years. And uh, the reason that was given was that Bangladesh has focused on the sector where it has comparative advantage, whereas India has not. So these were the kinds of triggers in my mind, which led to this, this study that I conducted. Uh, theoretically, it is found that uh, in an open economy, exports, they, uh, exports actually grow in those sectors where the country has comparative advantage. So which means that post-reform period, comparative advantages should align with the export shares. This is what actually the theoretically, uh, this is what the theory is about, the mainstream theory. But then it is found in India that export shares are growing in those sectors where the, where the country doesn't have comparative advantage. So I am just trying to look at this paradox and uh, try to see how India's exports have grown uh, in the post-1990 period. So this is what actually I'm trying to, to do and try to draw some uh, policy conclusions, how India can actually, at, the, at this moment, how India can really move forward. So these are this is the kind of objective that I'm uh, that 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 I have this in this paper. But of course, I will put some reflections on uh, RCEP because I have written about RCEP and FTAs, and I have certain uh, views on uh, views on them as well. So uh, now my I this paper actually this uh, study actually has addressed five questions, and these are how has India's growth performance been through? Uh, this uh, uh, liberal economic regime of the post-1991 period. How has the distribution of exports uh, changed? Have they diversified or they are specialized over time? Uh, has the, how has the composition of exports have changed over the years? Uh, are we really moving uh, uh, in the sectors faster where we have revealed comparative advantage or we are moving away from such sectors as has been said. What is the way forward for India? Why uh, we have this kind of pattern that we have at the moment? So these are some of the questions that I will be answering in this presentation. Uh, so let me start with the growth uh, kind of uh, uh, aspect of exports. Uh, but before that, I would like to talk about the theory I'm an academician, so I would like to look at the theory and I will try to show how uh, the kind of theories, are, different theories are relevant to explain India's exports in this current scenario. So if we look at these uh, theories, uh, these are neoclassical theory. Neoclassical theory says that exports are determined by factor endowment. If you are labor dependent, then you should focus on, you, you export, you have comparative advantages in labor intensive products. If you are capital abundant, then your comparative advantages are in capital goods or skill intensive commodities, depending upon what you have. But then there are endogenous growth theories that focus on uh, knowledge, skill upgrading, and this happens in an open economy due to FDI and trade because they are accompanied with technology transfer. There are spillovers that led to increasing knowledge and increasing, increasing skills within the economy, leading to diversification of exports and upgrading of exports. 
then there is a, a GVC literature which focuses again on the insertion into global value chains. And I think, and this is what I've been writing, that global value chains is a single most important factor driving growth and exports and FDI in this contemporary world. And then we have Mallet's theory. Mallet's theory is not really looking at the overall growth, uh, macro level uh, factors. They are looking at micro level factors, that is firm level heterogeneities. So some firms, they acquire uh, knowledge, capabilities, and they enjoy higher productivity. And these are the firms that drive exports. So this, these are the theories which are actually currently there explaining exports. And I would like to see India's exports within the framework of these theories. So all these theories suggest that exports grow in an open economy. So the, the effect of openness is always positive on export growth rate. So different reasons are given. I'm not getting into those reasons at the moment because I have many other, uh, uh, what is my time? How much time do I have? Hello? Yeah. 15, 20 minutes, no problem. 20 minutes, okay. Maybe half an hour. Okay, okay. okay. Please, ma'am, no problem. Okay. So, so yeah. So, uh, but all these theories suggest that if there is openness, there is increase in exports for different reasons. Neoclassical theory suggests that there is specialization. You specialize in those products where you have comparative advantage. Whereas other theories are not so uh, positive about uh, specialization, they say that there is a possibility of diversification. So whether it is endogenous growth theory, because it says that foreign direct investment comes and that leads to uh, and trade, both of them at, uh, in, uh, improves the economic, uh, uh, the, the, the knowledge stock in the economy, and that leads to diversification of exports. GVC so is the same thing. Mallet's theory also says that if there is openness, then the productivity constraints come down as a result of which more and more firms are able to export in the world market. And therefore, there is a possibility of diversification. Uh, so far as upgrading is concerned, the approach of neoclassical, which is a mainstream theory, which is actually driving our thoughts towards export, that, that actually is very static in nature. And it says that it all depends upon where you have comparative advantage. If you have continued continuing comparative advantage in labor, then you continue to produce labor intensive products. But other theories are more dynamic and they say that there is a possibility of uh, upgrading due to knowledge. And Mellit's theory uh, says that as, as you open up, then more and more firms, they get exposed to GVCs, they get exposed to trade, and therefore they upgrade their productivity, and therefore there is a possibility of upgrading. So uh, neoclassical theory, which is the mainstream theory that is very static in nature, it says that there is specialization, but because resources are transferred to specialized sector, there is growth in exports. Whereas other theories are talking about diversification of exports, and they also say that there is a possibility of exports. So within this framework, uh, I would like to see how India's exports have moved uh, further. Now, uh, this, this is a time series that I have taken from WTO database, and this is a volume of exports. This is not in terms of value, but in, the in terms of volume. And it shows that until 1990, now if you look at this carefully, if 1990, world exports were on an average greater than India's exports the growth, this is the growth rate, annual percentage change in the growth. 
Now, 90 to 2000, India started growing more rapidly. 2000 to 2010, there was acceleration in the growth rate. Uh, if you see the distance has increased uh, between 200 and 2000, 2000 and sorry, to 2010. But after 2010, we again started slipping and we find that, the, that India's growth rate are, are actually becoming lower than, or uh, they, they are entangled with the world export growth rate. So there is a, there's a deceleration there that we see there. So this is the kind of thing which, what does that mean? That is what I, I would like to explain that despite acceleration, despite us growth spurt in exports, we could not really uh, sustain this acceleration. That's what actually I wanted to say. And we could not really establish ourselves as an exporting economy. Now here I would like to bring the point that uh, Professor Escher just made uh, about the first point that he made about the, the volume. And I here I find that yes, he is absolutely right that we are 14th in terms of our share in global exports. That is in terms of the value. That is what he was talking about. Uh, there are only few countries, developing countries, which are above India. Most of them are essentially developed countries. Okay. So here we have, I actually try to find out which are the countries which have more exports than India. And these are China and these are developing countries I'm talking about. So China, Mexico, Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, Korea, and uh, Russian Federation. So these are the countries which have more exports than India. But if you look at the, the time pattern that you find the last curve in the beginning, the green one is India is where India lie. And there is, there is very marginal increase in India's uh, exports over the years. Whereas if you look at China, China started almost where India was. I mean, the, the gap was very, very small, but over the years, China actually uh, gained uh, substantial lead and uh, more than 13% of world share is accounted for by China alone. So if you just look at India and China, the gap actually has grown like anything, even if there is, there is effect on all other countries which, which who are exporting more than India. Now I come to the point where which Professor Escher said is not very relevant, and it is about the share of India's exports to, to, to GDP. If we look at that share, because India is a large economy, and Korea and all those economies, Taiwan, they are very small economies. So it is, it is of course, uh, uh, here I beg to differ that uh, it is important to see how much is the ratio of exports to GDP. And here we find that India is really in the bottom two deciles. Uh, there was uh, an acceleration between 2000 and 2011. And if you look at India's ranking improved uh, to 132 out of 195, but then we again slipped. And again, we came into the the, 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 sec, the bottom two deciles in 2000, between 2000 and 2011, we were one of the most uh, fastest growing export economy. In fact, we were only behind China, a major economy, which, which, which is the uh, other countries were very small. So 
that was the kind of growth but then we slipped and many other countries started growing faster after 2010 so we lost our ranking uh, so uh, so this here here we find that uh, that even sorry So even if we were growing, even if we had a growth spurt and we were growing faster, we could not really uh, maintain that. And this is very important to sustain you know, the, the uh, export growth rate over the years to really increase our share. Now, when we come to uh, the specialization of this, I focus on uh, three parameters here, three uh, indicators, the distribution of export shares, the variety of exports and distribution of uh, RCAs. So let us see how we performed in terms of diversification. Now, when I look at this uh, distribution, I use this, uh, uh, this curve, Lawrence curve, uh, which many of us are familiar with. And this curve shows that India actually uh, and this curve actually is based on the six-digit level uh, exports. So uh, six-digit level uh, classification of exports. And here we find that top 10% uh, product lines, they were accounting for nearly 90% of trade exports in 1990. Over the years, there was increase in the share of other, other uh, uh, products as well. But this increase actually, there, there is a change in the Lorentz curve here you find, but this change only happened in the middle range. That is the products, that is the products which were earlier marginal, uh, they were very close to those 10 uh, groups, those 10% uh, uh, of commodities, only there, there was a shift in the, uh, the shares. And there was uh, some in, some equality at that level, but again, the vast number, the large number of products they still contributed very small to the overall exports. Uh, over the share of the top products, top ten percent products that declined from ninety percent to eighty three percent. So there was this difference, and this happened only in the middle of the section. The rest of the commodities were not affected. Gini coefficient also declined, but this decline was marginal. So what we find that India's exports are still uh, concentrated at the top. There was change, but this change was not towards specialization. This was diversification. And this diversification happened even if it is marginally, it, it, is, it is very small. But this is something because many countries tended to specialize in their export basket. Now, what is very important to note here is that India still diversified even if the rate of diversification is not very high. Now, let me just focus on this diversification aspect further by looking at how it happened or why it didn't happen, what exactly was the mechanism. Uh, and so I try to decompose our export growth rate. And decompose means we look at the contribution of the existing products to export growth and the, the, the contribution of uh, new products and the old products that exited from the export basket. So A is the contribution by existing products, B minus C is the contribution of 
the, the dynamics, export dynamics, that is a net entry of products. And here we find that the look at the first column here, the second, I mean, the second column here, which shows that most of this growth in exports came from the within products, that is the existing products. So existing products, the growth in exports of existing products only contributed to the growth of exports. In the beginning, we had a large share of uh, uh, these uh, export dynamics as well. But over the years, we find that they are not really sustained and they remain very, very small. Now, here it is also important to see that the number of products continue to increase here, uh, the, the, the number of new products until 2005. It was only after that for two years, the number of new products declined. And then again, they increased. So even if there was an increase in the number of uh, products, which were included on an, an export basket, the export share of these products did not really increase much. This is important to understand. Most of the growth came from those products, which were already there in the export basket. Uh, so most of this export is driven by intensive margin. Uh, and why this is so, this is also important to understand. By 1988, India's export portfolio already comprised of 3,771 products out of 5,000 uh, products in, the, uh, in this classification, which is 73.4%. Uh, now, this could be attributed to the promotion of manufacturing capabilities during the protect, protected regime. Now, when we opened the economy, then there was a fear that now India's exports will become uh, non-competitive because those that 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 competitiveness was driven by the protective regime, but this didn't happen. As we opened up, the number of products started expanding in India's basket. In nine, 2019, India's export basket covered 4,441 products, but what is important that despite this increase, their contribution remained small. This is something that we need to explain and see how it happened and what, what we can do to really change this kind of scenario. Now let's come to the revealed comparative advantage. Now in, in, in economics, this is what we use for our, uh, to, to see, to measure how much is the comparative advantage in different categories. So here what we find is, we looked at the number of products uh, with RCA greater than or one, and then we also look at the exports under RCA. Now, if we look at the products under RCA, we find that there is a continuous increase of products under RCA greater than or equal to one. That is where we have revealed comparative advantage. But if we look at the, the if we look at the the percentage of exports under RCA products that has declined. And this is what perhaps is, is, is taken seriously. And it is shown that how India is not really exporting the products where India has comparative advantage. So I think this is where we, 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 we find that there is a sort of inconsistency in, in export shares and reveal comparative advantage. Let me explain that in my, uh, in my uh, presentation today. Uh, we looked at the distribution of exports by the value of RCA indices. And here we find that 
there were a number of products which had RCA greater than or equal to even 10 in 1990. This percentage started declining over the years. Average RCA value also started declining. So first two categories, if you look at where we had very high RCAs, there we find there is a decline in the share of products under this as well as the RCA. So revealed comparative advantage where we had very high revealed comparative advantage there, these revealed comparative advantages started declining. Mode RCA also declined sharply over the years. On the other hand, in other categories, most of these products shifted to this category of three to 6.5 or one to three. So the, the, this is where most of these products, so there was decline and they remained, uh, of course, they remained uh, the products with RCA greater than or equal to one, but their RCA values had declined. So this is where we find that RCA, uh, the, 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 the share of exports under RCA that has declined. This is because of the decline in the RCA values itself even though they remained above RCA, the number of products above agrees that the distribution of RCA values itself changed. And this is what I'm showing here now. Uh, it is this. It is this which shows that how the distribution of RCAs itself has changed over the years. It has become more equal the mode value of RCA, the, the, this threshold level of RCA has uh, moved towards the left. So more and more products, they came into RCA category, but overall RCA values had come down for those products where we had very high RCA values. Look at this last one. Here we had very sharp rise, you know, for 10% products, but now it has become more equal. So that is where we find that the export, so it is not the structural change in export per se, it is the change in the distribution of revealed comparative advantages itself, which led to this change in the export shares. And we need to understand how our revealed comparative advantages are changing. I think this is the point that we are not really looking at. We are just looking at the export shares. So what we did was that, uh, we began with this upgrading thing. We began with this reason, finding reasons what exactly is happening, whether we are upgrading or we are not upgrading. So what we I did was I took uh, I took this classification at uh, HS six level and then took the shares of uh, twenty one sections in that at this table now. This is where we find that how the export shares and RCAs have changed. So what we find, look at the first period. And here we find that textile, natural uh, uh, and cultured pearls, vegetable products, mineral uh, and chemicals and allied services, they were the top 10 product, top five products. They were contributing, this is the section wise, this is a section wise classification. They were contributing 71.40% of total trade. And then next five, they were contributing 21 and overall the contribution was 92, 93%. Now this was the, this was the kind of thing in 98. 
Now look at the recent classification. And here we find how RCAs and export shares both have changed, but RCAs have changed faster. So what we find that now machinery, if you look at here, this was earlier in the next, uh, in, on the sixth place. Now it has moved to the top five now. On the other hand, this has come down in the, in the next five products and it's RCA has also come down. So if you look now plastics, they have entered as new categories. They were not there earlier. Whereas here we, we find that some of the products here like animal products, raw skins, that is where we had comparative advantage. They have gone out of this classification. So what we find that it is not merely the export share, it is also the RCA values that have changing and RCA values have been changing a little faster. Let us look at the other classifications which are uh, the more, more uh, uh, known and which are typically used. So we actually looked at the classification of exports by human uh, capital intensive products, natural resource intensive products and unskilled labor intensive products. Now here again, you find that there is a sharp decline in the share of uh, export shares of uh, unskilled labor intensive products. On the other hand, there is increase in the labor, human labor intensive products. Now, if you look at the next graph, this is about RCA. We find there are similar uh, uh, trends here and there is a sharp decline in the RCA of uh, unskilled labor intensive products. And there is increase in the RCA of human labor intensive products. It means that we are in transition. That is what is important to understand. Now, similar graph we find here, where we find that uh, where we have classified these products according to their technology. So high technology manufactures, low technology, medium, and then we retain this resource base because this is where we have huge advantage due to refineries and, and uh, pearls and uh, diamonds. So if you focus on high load and, uh, and uh, medium technology, here again, we find that there are changes in the export shares, but so, are, so have the uh, I mean, the, uh, the export shares have changed, but so have the RCA ratios. So both of them are changing. We are moving towards the comparative advantages in the in in more uh, sophisticated products. Now this is where we have this uh, product complexity complexity index. We have used it. Uh, this has been developed by Harvard School in their growth lab. So we use those product labs. This is the uh, product uh, uh, classif uh, complexity index. And this is done at four digit level, SITC. And here again, we find that the product share under, this, this actually shows, this only shows those products where we have RCA is greater than or equal to one. And on this, on the, in the column side, we have the different levels of productivity complexity. And here we find that there has been increase in those products where we have product complexity greater than zero. So that's what we find that there is increasing product complexity in India's exports as well. So let us see what, what we find here. We find that there has been export uh, acceleration. There is no doubt about it, but then uh, it could not be sustained and we could not really improve our ranking uh, in terms of exports in the world export uh, market. Uh, 
now it is very important for improving the for improving the for for catch up process that it remains sustained over a long period of time somehow we couldn't really do that then it is it has been accompanied by diversification in terms of both labor shares and rca uh, but still it is highly concentrated in the sense that 83% of export comes from top 10% of six digit products so still we need to have more diversification but what is important is that there was no specialization that that, that happened the uh, rca distribution has changed more prominently this is what we found and highly skewed rca values of uh, traditional products they have come down so they are becoming lesser uh, competitive and other products are becoming more competitive now that is the meaning of, of that is the implication of this so what we find what is very important is that our export structure is upgrading substantially now this is something which is a very important thing to understand and it is not only in terms of shares but also in terms of comparative advantages so what is a, what is the implication india is losing revealed comparative advantage in labor intensive low skilled products despite the fact that we are still labor abundant country this is despite the fact that we are still labor abundant country on the other hand rcas are emerging in labor intensive and technology intensive more complicated products so even though factor endowment based advantages are there because i because we have seen that there is no drastic change the portfolio has remained the, the change is only in the top levels so these products are still uh, still having those comparative advantages those traditional products but dynamic comparative advantages have been emerging and how it is emerging i try to explain this in terms of the mallets theory uh, what happened was that during what how i look at it how i have explained it is that during this protective regime several firms in india they accumulated productive capabilities and and this they these capabilities were acquired in those sectors which were comparative advantage defying sectors this was because the focus was on building those high tech high capital intensive industries within the economy now what happened after economic liberalism the the the, the constraints were unlocked and these economies they reaped the benefits of globalization in the sense of uh, getting uh, attached to gvcs or acquiring fdi uh, or acquiring a non, uh, technology at lower cost uh, which was not there earlier possible so they actually tried they reaped the benefits managed to overcome the institutional uh, constraint and upgrading the exports so these are the, the so so and these are particularly because of gvc participation where they include they they acquired technological capabilities so these micro level uh, kind of um, contributions they became very important in 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 changing the 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 pattern of uh, dis the distribution of exports and rcas point here is now why this why we have lost comparative advantage reveal comparative advantage in labor intensive products despite being labor abundant now this is something which is where the conflict is and here i say that one possibility is the it revolution we actually went for it we had it revolution and this might have created bommel cost disease effect bommel cost disease effect is when the expanding sectors 
sector has when when one sector is growing rapidly then wages also start growing and when wages grow in this sector they pull the wages of other sectors also in upward direction and this affects the cost structure of the economy so i think this this is this is one factor that might have affected the cost structure of labor intensive sectors and we started losing our competitiveness in these sectors i am not really blaming the labor factors i mean labor laws or any such thing because there are certain structural factors we which we must pay attention to uh then we find that most of these economies most of the economies in the world the developing economies in the world they took advantage of contemporary globalization and they integrated themselves into global value chains uh and these global value chains they and they were very successful uh, especially in the traditional products and they used uh special economic zones as the key tool uh and special massive uh, fiscal deficits were given to special economic zone to to get cost competitive advantages in these traditional products india's experiment in scs could never bring those kinds of desirable uh, results uh, outcomes uh, industrial parks textile parks food parks mega food parks several types of parks we we started but they 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 were even less successful than scs and india eventually lost its comparative advantage in traditional uh traditional products to new production centers we cannot look at india in isolation we need to see what the other countries are also doing so these new production centers emerge in southeast asia south asia in south asia for instance bangladesh and middle east asia including jordan and uh, and other countries kuwait so uh, so so these, these these countries actually were benefited these countries actually reaped they they grabbed sports in these traditional sector so but in india what happened that this loss in competitive advantage in traditional sector could not be off could not uh, be offset by growth in non traditional exports where our competitive is started uh, showing up so overall we find that this scenario may have pulled down the growth uh, export growth rate and may have had the impact on the scope of diversification so these are my last this is my last uh, slide here and here we find that india now needs to understand that in that the there is a there are emerging dynamic comparative advantages in non traditional sectors this is something that we must understand and we need to push them this is the we are familiar with the product space theory which says that the countries with competitive strength in sophisticated and complex products face better growth prospects than those who are not so we must understand that this is the time to upgrade uh, the exports because this can only build the basis for further growth not to go back to traditional exports so this is a this that i am presenting here that even in traditional uh, industries the focus should be on higher value added products india is not likely to compete in labs because of the massive capacities and incentives offered in new production centers so for instance vietnam or bangladesh or even now indonesia i have recently worked on uh, indonesia and south other southeast asian countries massive capacities they are creating in terms of special economic zones or other economic zones and they are trying to offer them huge incentives 
to really attract a lot of such investment, which is, which is more of labor intensive nature. Further, we find that youth <coughs> needs to be, the, the aspirations are changing of the young population. They are more looking at better uh, job prospects and therefore they need to be prepared more in terms of skill attainment and more complex tasks. SEZ is something which I've been writing a lot. And I think that uh, considering that whatever is happening in the, in considering whatever is happening in the world, it is important that we must revamp this policy. We have to look at the large industrial parks, including uh, logistic parks, mega food parks, multi-logistic parks, which uh, I think Professor Nalin Bharti was talking about, uh, coastal economic zones, which we had proposed, then uh, invest, national investment and manufacturing zones, which we had proposed. So several policies have come, but uh, what is happening to them, this needs to be seen. What is the kind of constraint that they are facing? And we have to address them using a kind of uh, holistic approach. So any push to the, uh, to the low skill labor intensive industries in the, in the current con con context may not be very effective. So we must identify the expo employment potential in the industries where dynamic advantages are emerging. Uh, let me just briefly give you one example, which is a recent, uh, 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 which I observed in my recent visit to uh, to a place called uh, City City. I, City City is a special economic zone and I spent there one and a half months recently. And what I found, I spoke with people, uh, which is, which is, in this area, which is essentially a rural area. And what I find that people are not available to work in the food industries, uh, so, or textile industry. So there is a fabric park which came up, which was totally, it totally failed. And then we had this city city season where we have some value added, uh, which are uh, most of the industries are in electronics or electrical engineering. There we find that there is a lot of rush for people to come. So, and that, that actually has triggered a kind of uh, incentive also to acquire uh, knowledge. So these are the dynamics, field-based dynamics, which suggest that this is a time now to move to, uh, to upgraded products. And any kind of SEPA or, uh, SEPA or any uh, free trade agreement I think that can where there we can be successful only if we can we strengthen our own competitiveness. This is a strong view. Actually, I have written about that even in my earlier one of the earlier. So finally, uh, and most importantly, we need to place international competitiveness at the center of this rhetoric of self-reliance. This is something which is very important for to, to achieve competitiveness. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much, madam, uh, for very intensive and uh, uh, very, very much, uh, uh, we can say, in-depth analysis of the India's uh, export, diversification of export, how uh, majority of our products are still, uh, especially the traditional products which was exported in past, is still continuing. Uh, that also shows our competitiveness, uh, even though many countries are coming up as a competitor. Uh, the, the data which you have presented about uh, the continuing products, which is still competitive, that is still one of the very important uh, 
point which I have, uh, uh, which I have taken from your lecture. But at the same time, a very small entry of the new products that also shows a new India entering in the global market. Mm -hmm. But that has to be strengthened mm -hmm. day by day. Yeah. And that's why various schemes which you have named in the last part of your lecture, that has to be very seriously taught at the state level. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, when I was the student of uh, bachelor, and uh, that was the time uh, India started economic reform and uh, when India started economic reforms, there were three other uh, very important point that is Mandal, Kamandal, and Bhumandal. So this, this Mandal is the caste politics, the Bhumandal is the uh, religious politics, and the, uh, 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 and the Bhumandal is the globalization. So uh, today also when UP election is on, various other states are fighting their elections the growth dimension and the development dimension uh, has to be has to be on the top for India because India has the potential to prove it. So before uh, 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 inviting Professor Saeed Ahmad, these are my points. But uh, Professor Saeed Ahmad is uh, extensively involved in international trade, especially looking India's export and trade policy in past. So uh, I would like to invite now Professor Ahmad for his remark. Uh, thank you, Nalin and the chair, uh, Professor Mukula Asar. And let me congratulate uh, Professor Aradna Garwal for excellent presentation and uh, for her detailed research uh, insights uh, given about growth, diversification issues related to India's export. The one thing uh, from the lecture in my opinion, emerges that uh, the important aspect if India want to grow, uh, the internal st strength is necessary. Uh, internal, uh, the economy need to be, uh, develop its internal st strength, uh, whether it is uh, global competitiveness or internal issues, the internal strength is necessary component for any global success. That is the basically oh, emerging policy implication from Professor Agra, Agarwal's lecture. Uh, as a discussion, I have only few points and few additions because already uh, Professor Agarwal has indicated all aspects related to growth and diversification. Now, as far as growth is concerned, the one thing let me, the positive aspect of India's economy since 1991, uh, there is a, one positive aspect uh, in economic policy space. And as an economist, uh, that's working quite well. And that is when we teach in macroeconomics expectation theory, the rational expectation hypothesis in macroeconomics. The one aspect about uh, last uh, 30 years, the way, irrespective of regime change, whether the UPA or NDA, the India's path policy space is more or less in macro sense is common. There is no, uh, in as particularly in global space, which you call export oriented growth strategies or related to FDI or related to other strategies, 
dealing with India's integration with global economy, there is a broad consensus in all political parties. And those who are participating with India's economy, whether it is a global exporter or the firms, or uh, they have a quite common expectation that irrespective of internal politics in India, the, the policy space will be quite uh, invariant and it will continue. And that has affect, up, uh, upgraded India's position. And uh, there is a positive impact of this particular aspect and uh, in this uh, way. Coming to the, uh, in that way, the already Professor Agarwal indicated the, what has happened uh, as far as growth is concerned, uh, export growth uh, in that way. But when we see the, what the, prof, the chair of this uh, presentation, Professor Asar is indicating for India's, uh, the Indonesia, Vietnam and Korea, the, basically, India mostly when looks from uh, figures, particularly in China's, China's perspective, given its size, and India is still stand quite, uh, uh, I just look at the figures, uh, uh, not looking the figures of 2019, 20 and 2021. I treat them as a structural break or temporary shock because of mm -hmm. uh, this pandemic situation. But uh, if you see the figures, uh, India's around, as far as mercantile trade, uh, is, it is around 320, 25 uh, billion, while China's is, is more than 2,300 something. The eight times difference is still India stands. While uh, we, uh, in that way, uh, we, are, we have to do a lot, both as far as diversification is concerned or as far as uh, market penetration is concerned. And for that way, uh, Professor Agarwal indicated that uh, the moment uh, India's export is not growing in the areas where RCA is competitive. But the theory also suggests that the, it, uh, the, that RCA works in a distortionary, non-distortionary uh, trade regime. And mostly what we have observed that uh, the structure of uh, distortions are changing. Earlier in 1930s, when US led this whole distortional, uh, distortionary process by tariff act of 1930s, now there are NTBs. Uh, we have observing that law, variety of distortions are exist, uh, existing. Where you are feeling competitive, there are variety of distortions are coming either in anti-dumping forms or some health issues, some others. And when the multilateral regime is not working effectively, particularly the WTO, there is no success story in last, uh, after Uruguay round, uh, there is no big achievements of WTO uh, multilateral framework. Rather, there is a lot of issues of multilateral, plurilateral nature discussion is taking place and deviating. Uh, even nobody now talking about the Doha mandate and even nobody knows it has failed, though it has failed, but uh, nobody is talking about even the director general of WTO never talks about it, that what happened to the desire of the developing countries, 
all indonesia vietnam india bangladesh what happened to all these people even the multilateral forum no discussion and distortioners are distortionary regime are uh, some way or in other way it uh, there professor agrawal is already indicated one line there is no uh, if you say that there are fta or some type of uh, free trade ag agreement it doesn't a guarantee of success and you will be always uh, in in many of my own research you will find which based on general equilibrium framework there is always a losers and gainers so not not necessarily if you just enter in an agreement uh, it will give you a success uh, uh, most of the time uh, there are you may be a loser and particularly the within the economy there are a significant segment which is a uh, loser side of the story now if you see this uh, what the my own uh, which is accepted paper but uh, the data from that if i say this simple statistics from india to china in 2018 there is one data raw data which is published by angtad uh, that tells us that that the raw material india's raw material export uh, consist around uh, 7.48% in 2018 and if you see the intermediate products india export around 32% and uh, the consumer goods around 45% and capital goods around 14% and when you compare with this figure with china the raw material in china export only just 1.66% and uh, this uh, uh, intermediate goods around 16% and uh, consumer goods around uh, 35% and capital goods around 46% so this tells us uh, where we uh, this as far as the big economy is concerned and which is developing economy nearby uh, still we are uh, the lower end as far as either the this is the stage of processing data this is state of processing data which tells us that we are somewhere at the lower end of the cycle as far as india and uh, while china is now uh, exporting significantly if you just add 35 plus 45 works out to be around uh, 80% 80% export of uh, china is kind of falls in the category of uh, either Uh, the consumer goods or the capital goods while india is not uh, the lower end of that category the, uh, the either the raw material which is around 8% and then the intermediate goods are uh, some figure and if you there was the professor agarwal is indicated that she has evaluated all from technology perspective which is a lol classification if you see this uh, the big economies comparison like china india uh, india's uh, export fall in the category of the low low skilled and medium skilled category while the china's major significant portion of export fall in the category of medium medium to the high skilled category of uh, export so there is a lot uh, of potential of uh, export diversification as far as uh, india is concerned yes 
rightly indicated that India's uh, number of product has increased from 3,600 to 4,000 something, the number of uh, export over a period of time that the number has increased, but a uh, lot of potential exists for India for diversification component. And uh, when we see the product diversification, destination participation, yes, there is a more diversification has uh, taken place we are now having a look east, look, look, look east or East Asia policy. Uh, and also we have a effort to penetrate African market. So India has a more diversification. And if you see, there is a uh, reduction from the share of developed countries as far as India's uh, export is concerned. So we are more diversification as far as destination is concerned, export destinations, uh, but it's still at, uh, uh, there is a lot to attain it, to diversify, because if there is any shock to US economy uh, or to a European economies, we are still affected, it's still affected. And uh, because it's still we are say, almost 40% of our export is uh, destined to the developed country nation. So we need to, or participate more to the East, Eco, East Asia neighbors where we have already an agreement uh, with India, ASEAN, and, uh, and we have not joined RCEP, but uh, there is a lot potential. Africa, we have not done much. Uh, there is need to do a lot of participation uh, in African economies. What the China has done, we are uh, lagging behind, but for uh, at the end, uh, uh, I will say that uh, we should not learn from these 20 to th uh, 2021. We should not that India has succeeded uh, a lot as far as export is concerned because this is global south. And uh, when the uh, say the badly US is badly affected, Europe is badly affected, India is less badly affected. Obviously, US share will increase, particularly pharma. This is this is a temporary structural shock. And we have to just come to the normal situation and then we should make a judgment that oh, India has done a wonderful job in as, as far as export is concerned. And uh, that's the reason when I am doing any research, I am restricting myself to 2018 or 2019, not, not looking much figures to the for this structural break because for trade economies later on, we have to evaluate this time series data, how to capture this uh, health issues, because this is giving uh, not right results in my opinion, uh, my opinion. But uh, I think as an economist, we need to uh, talk about more for multilateral uh, trade regime because uh, right now the developed country are in a deviating path and not right now, the, if you see the US uh, strategies after Obama and later on Trump and uh, Biden, everybody, nobody is interested to come to the table and discuss this forum because that is curtailing their power and freedom to, uh, to discuss. But there is no option for developing countries except multilateralism. FTA, yes, if we can do uh, on the mutually beneficial terms with the India EU or India UK or India US, good enough that we should do it, uh, provided uh, we agreed on mutual terms of 
trade, mutual terms of benefit, that's good enough, but multilateralisms need to be emphasized. And I congratulate also the Arjun uh, for organizing this event and I stop it here. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Professor Ahmad. Uh, now uh, we have few questions. So uh, let me read out some of the questions. So one of the question is uh, for Professor Agrabal about, is the US playing around with India in raising expectations towards an FTA? First a uh, BIT, then mini trade deal. None of these are in the offering. Can you explain the policy dilemma in this? Should I, should I read other questions also? Yes, yes, sir. Yeah, the second question is uh, again uh, about uh, both the papers are comprehensive and informative. Why there seems less intra-regional trade among SARC, despite the presence of SAPTA and other policy initiatives. What about uh, facilitation on trade, trade front to Nepal and other small economies of South Asia? So next part of this question is about uh, Nepal could become export base for India. Win-win situation could occur then as India is one of the uh, premier investors country after China in Nepal. So uh, the first question was uh, uh, about FTA and the second question was on the intra-SARC uh, trade. Yeah, thank you very much uh, for, for these questions. First of all, uh, so let, let me take the first question first. Now, so far as the US is concerned, I think US is, uh, U.S. has some sort of uh, uh, uncertainty in its policy. You know, uh, you know that the last regime of Trump, he had a sort of idea about. Uh, he was not really interested into uh, all these trade and uh, these trade agreements. He he was more focused on the domestic economy. So his focus was on how to promote manufacturing within the economy. And he, his attention to the rest of the world was not really there. And we know that how he pulled out of uh, these various uh, negotiations, TTIP and all those. Uh, uh, so there is still, uh, they have to still come to the track. First of all, this is very important to understand. Now, uh, at the same time, they actually, their policy regarding India they look at India as a big market. Now this must be understood that uh, India is seen as a big market and any deal that they want to do is to promote their exports and FDI within India. So what is happening at the moment is that there is a sort of tussle, you know, and they are not very sure whether India is going to give them, uh, give them the kind of uh, uh, the, the space for that. So there, there is a, dealing 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 that is happening in this uh, in these fta in fact if you look at even us and eu they have been negotiating negotiating for a long long time and they haven't yet reached any conclusion so i think that with growing uh, nationalism that has been taking place after uh, uh, after this crisis there is a sort of backtracking 
so far as international uh, agreements are concerned. Bigger countries are looking for more space to be given, whereas uh, smaller countries, they really want to, they are not really in a mood to give that kind of space. So of course, this has affected these, these deals and they are not really coming to any conclusion. So we have started with the EU again, we have started with, uh, now we are talking about the UK, we are, we are also, we are already carrying out with the US, but these negotiations don't happen quickly because of the kind of domestic politics that is also becoming very important. So, so actually I agree here with uh, Professor Shahid Ahmed that we should uh, strengthen the WTO multilateralism uh, that is more important at the moment. But of course, the countries are looking, I mean, the, the, the process of these negotiations have been going on. Now, uh, so far as SAFTA is concerned, now actually I'm working on uh, South Asia currently, and uh, I tell you that SAFTA has not been very successful. I'm afraid to say that. But uh, the trade share has not really grown beyond 4.5 to 5%. So inter-regional trade, intra-regional trade within SAFTA, they are, that's, that, hasn't really, uh, that, has re that hasn't really grown much. So this is what we must understand. Uh, now, this is, a, this is something which is about political economy. So there is a lot of political economy that is playing its part. And uh, again, I think that uh, it is very important to have trust you know, when you are talking about intra-regional agreements. So somewhere, I think that countries are now looking to other countries. I mean, the, these South Asian countries, they are looking to other groupings for instance, we, we find that some, some countries are looking to CAREC, some countries are looking to, to this, uh, it's BIMSTEC, I think. So these are the, these are different uh, groupings that uh, we are looking. So I there can is- I add something mm -hmm. uh, to stop the issue? Should I add something? Yeah, no, of course I will give you because, uh, yeah, because, but okay. I, I, I don't want to make a huge comments on SAFTA actually, because okay. me, I feel that uh, SAFTA is something that needs to be made effective. We need to understand how we have that common history and how we can have the common geography and how we can be benefited through trade linkages. But at the moment, things are not really moving the way that they should. Nepal, very nice question. Actually, Nepal could be the base for India's exports. Nepal could also be the, I mean, it, it, it both can be benefited through, through these interlinkages, but somehow, uh, again, the political uncertainty, the question of domestic politics, all these again and again come up and things don't really happen. So, so any international relationship cannot be uh, looked upon without looking at the domestic uh, dynamics that have been taking place. And sometimes these dynamics don't really allow uh, these international relations to grow. And I think that is the main reason why SAFTA is not happening or why at the moment, uh, many of these trade negotiations are just going on and on and we are not really coming to any conclusion. Thank you. Yeah, 
Yeah, Shahid can add something, whatever. Yeah, actually, I just want to add something regarding the second question uh, about Nepal. Actually, uh, what Professor Agarwal is saying uh, is absolutely right that uh, there is no success story of uh, SAFTA. But I look at SAFTA in two parts. You see, when you see the SAFTA's economies, there are two economies, which is India and uh, Pakistan. India accounts around 80% and Pakistan accounts around 10% of the size of the economy. Then the 90% of these two economy, and there is, you know, there is a whole politics uh, about the issues. So when you look at the figures of SAFTA region that you will not find much success story, but there is other part of the SAFTA region like India, Sri Lanka, India, Bangladesh, there is a lot of success story about this that we have uh, in the region, particularly uh, India, Bangladesh, there is a good uh, trade flows and uh, there is success story of India, Bangladesh also within the region and also India, Sri Lanka, whether you can attribute for India, Sri Lanka, FTA, or you can attribute to SAFTA because India, Sri Lanka, obviously it is better uh, deal than the India SAFTA, but there is also a success story of India, Sri, Sri Lanka in the region. India, Nepal, that's right uh, that there is a more potential yet to be untapped. Uh, and uh, the economic logic is there, but uh, ultimately the, there is a governance which is political always to so need to be looked upon that perspective so there is a subsection of the safta region which is benefited from safta and more uh, the india sri lanka and india bangladesh sri lanka and pakistan also so there is subsections within the region which is uh, benefited but as a whole because of the size of these two economies and the political economy of india and pakistan that's not working and it is affected uh, whole region. And uh, the regarding trade facilitation, this is the only area which is need to be worked because uh, the issues related to the trade facilitation and trade hurdles, uh, that is the area need to be looked in the softer region. The tariffs is not uh, in a globally and also in the region is not a big issue except India and uh, Pakistan. That's the, my addition on that. So uh, can we also have a two minutes quick uh, way forward from each of the speaker, starting from Professor Asar. Uh, thank you, Nalin. Uh, just some very quick points. Uh, Professor Agarwal had mentioned about Bangladesh. I have a different perspective from Professor Ahmad that 2021 data is reported or has a lot of noise and so on. Works both ways, the growth rates are down too. And I think there's a structural change which we need to take into account, including the efforts of many countries now to uh, create new supply chains and logistics chain that are not so overly dependent on China. And many of the agreements like the Quad has got, for example, health, the vaccine element, where India will be the main manufacturing base, which will be distributed with Japan and others. So there are a lot of things. It's going to 
past in because of uh, global developments, because of India's efforts as well. But Bangladesh was mentioned, I'll just give you the figure. In 2021, uh, merchandise trade of Bangladesh was $39 billion. India was 400. We don't have service data, but so, uh, but India was, as I said, 632, a huge difference, but you are very right that Bangladesh has taken opportunities in certain key commodities uh, products, uh, which India would do well to learn from. Uh, second, the exports to GDP graph. Uh, export to GDP is only with respect to merchandise. If we were to start adding services, because India's services in total trade is much higher than global services trade to total trade. Once you start doing that, it would be interesting to see how the rankings are. I don't know what they will be because I have not done work on that. Labor intensity, you, Professor Agarwal, uh, were somewhat uh, given, you gave less emphasis on labor reforms. I think labor reforms are very important. Would you want to go to Kerala and set up anything or West Bengal or nowadays Punjab? Labor reforms are essential and we need and related to labor reforms are the logistics costs. One of the ways where we lost competitiveness is our logistic cost are around 13% as compared to the global average of six to seven percent. That's what the blue economy, Bharat Mala, uh, Yojana, uh, others are trying to address is to explicitly reduce our logistics cost. And that needs to be included uh, uh, in, in that. Uh, the, the other is the connectivity, the logistic the connectivity was not there. So Bharat Mala is going to address that. Sagar Mala is addressing that. And these are structural changes that are going to last. This is not, 21 is not just one, uh, you know, one year uh, thing as well, uh, alone. Uh, there is also uh, another issue that is worth researching further. I learned a lot from Professor Agarwal's very meticulously researched paper. Um, one of the things that uh, we need to look at is what are the districts from which India's exports are being made and what? So recently PIB had a table that they published, uh, which shows that very few districts account for very large proportion of the exports. So one of the ways, strategies to expand uh, the uh, India's diversification is to try to get more and more geographical area. This is where the Northeast comes in, this is where one district, one product program in UP and 
other states that are following it. So this is why this structural change is going to be a major one that will have an impact over the medium term. And we shouldn't dismiss 2021 figures uh, just, just like that. It's not pharma alone. It's, uh, the India is now, uh, I think, around 20th in defense exports in the world. And Philippines is just concluding contract to buy Brahmos missile from India. So India's exports of defense, which we always shied away and which we always is going to go. So we will get diversification. It will take a few years and it would be very in, uh, interesting three to five years from now, how do your numbers look? Thank you again for the opportunity. But I learned a lot. Thank you very much. Thank you, Professor Asad. Now, uh, Professor Sahid and then uh, Professor Agrawal. Uh, I agree with Professor Mokul that there is a lot of uh, potential and uh, opportunities. Uh, some structural uh, changes are taking place. Uh, hope this works out. Uh, Bharat Mala and uh, connectivity issues uh, like there. Uh, it depends uh, the, of the successful implementation of these programs uh, like this. So there is a lot of potential both in the diversification front and the destination as well as in the product specification. Uh, but it's still, uh, uh, there is need to do a lot uh, on internal front of the economy. For globally, uh, you can succeed only when you uh, are a successful economy at your uh, domestic level. You have to, uh, like to the point Professor Mukul indicated that uh, district-wise uh, outcome of growth, uh, regional, uh, for the origin of the export from India. But if you, uh, there's the, this only few states in India where this uh, basically uh, whole industrial uh, segment because where India's export originates from chapter 71. Ma the maximum share around more than 21% and then uh, the chapter 71 and then another uh, chapter, uh, if I uh, remember, uh, just see the chapter 27 uh, and 20, uh, uh, chapter 71, which, uh, which accounts 15 and 12% and both the sectors are, are uh, HS, I'm referring to two, two, two digits, HS chapter 27 and 2071. Uh, Both are belongs to the industrial component now. And the industry's location in India, you see the where the uh, Northeast stand, where the Bihar stand, where Odisha stand, and the region. Uh, Odisha comes because of the minerals and some oil, the, some component. But the, there is a lot to do as far as domestic uh, economy is concerned to... The state level reforms is needed uh, and more uh, structural reforms, uh, not only this uh, the particularly media type of reforms, which is generally on uh, for public consumption, but on the reforms at the ground, how to invite the people, how, what is the concentration of FDI in few regions and few states, 
those who are investing in india where they are investing go ncr region come to the gurgama noida then uh, the pune and mumbai and maharashtra the few regions only the, you may be to so there is a lot to do uh, within the region itself to succeed successfully uh, on um, to become a global player uh, in as far as your export and uh, import regime is concerned and we need also the import for successful uh, exporter so that uh, protectionist tendencies need to be curtailed also within the region within the nation also we this there is a uh, we should not uh, follow the old policies that there should be a restriction on the imports and then export no we need a raw material we need a technology we need a uh, we have to liberalize the region but domestic reforms and at the ground uh, it may be state level reforms and then district level how to make the attractive so i am fully agree with professor mukul from that point of view and internal strength is the key for the success in global economy and that yet to be uh, achieved and there is a lot of potential to do do this that that's the point i want to make thank you professor ahmed and now uh, professor agrawal yes well, first of all thank you very much for the questions and for the comments and i think that uh, that has uh, enriched uh, and me and uh, i think that will be now incorporated in the paper some of the points uh, that have been made in this presentation just uh, one or two points i would like to address here one is the point of uh, labor reform uh, which professor asher raised actually labor reform is said to be the key factor in india uh, and uh, if you look at uh, arvind panagriya's book and writings he has emphasized this as the single most important factor uh, for growth uh, somehow i think that uh, this is not really uh, that important uh, as compared with many other factors that need to be uh, promoted for instance good infrastructure logistics good governance yes you see if there there is a uh, enterprise survey conducted by the world bank which shows the most important bottleneck in india for growth this is what the firms say perhaps we don't really want to discuss corruption as a kind of factor which is uh, which has penetrated in every layer of our society so that there was another survey recently uh, which also shows that in india corruption was said to be the most important bottleneck so i think this we must keep in mind that and i according to my interviews with firms 20% of cost is accounted for by corruption they say that at every stage they have to give money so so one must understand that there are more important issues that are that are actually uh, ailing this economy and we need to really uh, address them and just not focus only on labor reform so this is what my point is so that may not be the kind of the most important factor or the key factor to promote labor intensive uh, pr production that's what uh, but this point of uh, including uh, services into uh, grow in, into exports and then see the gdp growth rate i think that's a very interesting point and that i shall uh, see whether i can do that uh, now district wise again uh according to i mean if you look at the current scenario uh in this current scenario the growth has become very region specific you see it it has 
it is a globalization in which regions have become more important because it is the it is the competitive advantage of the regions that decide whether you can really be competitive in the world market or not and this is why you know we have to promote we have to identify the regions which are which have the potential because not every region can be developed uh, you see we cannot really develop regions for exporting this is something uh, which is which which has been the experience also, which is shown that uh, we can give so much of uh, incentives to a backward region, and but then we don't find that kind of growth in those regions. So we need to have growth because competitive advantage of the region matters a lot. So you have to create those competitive advantages in those in those regions which have potential, and then you can actually promote. Uh, much of the growth and this is where actually i think that uh, industrial clusters or industrial estates or in or or special economic zones may not be special economic zones i don't believe that special economic zone should be only for exports i i strongly write against that that they should be now uh, i i really feel that they should be now open uh, with incentives only to export with incentives to only uh, certain productive activities, high-tech productive activities, uh, not to all of them. So this is what actually sh they, they should have that kind of change in the mindset when it comes to special economic zones. But that can go some way because there we find that in India, some of these special economic zones like in Siri City, I just want to bring that in just to tell you that I had been to this area, which was totally area. There was no economic activity in that area except mango growing and paddy growing and paddy was subsistence economy and today if you go there you find that it is a totally changed place it is it is totally commercialized and and there is a earlier the companies were finding a lot of people unemployed for every position now they, they they don't have people to get employed so so i think we should learn from such places such examples in india because there are examples in india and see how we can we can do that so, and, and there are competitive advantage of this in the sense that it is very close to Chennai and it has the connectivity, it has the ports, it has the airports, so uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the proximity. So I think those kinds of uh, uh, competitiveness advantages may be identified and we can promote them. But overall, we cannot really promote all the, uh, you know, districts or all these places or all the states uh you know with the kind of investment that we have so so we, we need to be more selective so that's what my idea is thank you yeah thank you very much professor agarwal uh now i would like to again invite professor asar uh, for the concluding remarks as the chair of this session uh thank you professor nalin i think i have already made my comments and given the main arguments that I wanted to convey. Uh, there are among the, the Professor Agabal, Professor Shahid Ahmad, and myself, there are many points of agreement, some points of the differences in weightage to give to different factors and the importance of the internal uh, reforms and 
our responsibility as researchers and intellectual community to support constructive reform going forward and not to politicize uh, the reform process to educate, to try to be ready to make arguments when the right type of reforms occur, whoever makes it anywhere in the country. I think this is what something that we can all take forward. As usual, this has been a very rich uh, set of discussion from which everybody can learn a lot and think uh, and reflect. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Professor Nasser. Uh, before uh, closing this uh, webinar, uh, three important points from uh, the three uh, uh, speakers from this session is, uh, uh, from Professor Agarwal's presentation, I got this point that India is still uh, one of the competitive uh, exporter, especially for those products in which India had con competitiveness in past. At the same time, Professor Agarwal's presentation also throwing some light on how India is also coming up with some new products and which was added by Professor Asher's point that yes, very soon India will start exporting some of the defense, uh, uh, defense material also and maybe exporter of many def defense items. So the second point which Professor Asher uh, made uh, in relation to uh, the today's uh, discussion and, and presentation is that uh, whatever uh, whatever new uh, projects such as Bharat Mala, Sagar Mala, and Uran and other schemes India has launched in terms of uh, connectivity, logistic connectivity, and new infrastructure which India needs to build up, uh, this will result very soon in a very positive direction. So whatever we are having today. That is not the truth. What we will have uh, in future, that is more dependent on what type of new infrastructures are created and how these infrastructure infrastructures are linked together with some of the uh, some of the exporting uh, states, as well as as highlighted by Professor Asad, that the district level uh, 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 readiness should be also there, and some of the new dis districts must must be added in our uh, export destinations. So the entire discussion is not only bringing the pro product diversification, but it is also bringing the export destination diversification. And uh, the point which Professor Said Ahmad has, uh, uh, has brought uh, as a part of this discussion is uh, how multilateralism is being failed. Doha, De Doha Declaration is on the back seat. Uh, there is no further improvement. On, on the issue of public health, even during the COVID-19, my recent paper, which was published on uh, 6th January 2020, has highlighted in India quarterly that how far patent waiver, the majority of the countries are playing with the, with the card and uh, they are not deciding anything on the patent waiver. So very slow progress shows that WTO is not in the position to control one of the most important uh, issue that is the vaccine for all. And uh, this cannot be solved without the patent waiver. And for which uh, uh, Article 
31H and 31F of the TRIPS agreement uh, provide us an opportunity to, to, to go for that, but it is not happening because the, uh, there isn't any cooperation and the cooperation theory is not working, especially in a very, uh, uh, very important period when we have to be very much cooperative. So bringing all three uh, uh, presentations and discussions in one uh, line is that uh, India had uh, uh, lots of uh, uh, opportunities. India is still having opportunities, but uh, to, to, to go forward, we have, to, uh, we have to be very much targeted in coming days. Otherwise, we will be again missing the bus like we have missed many bus in our past. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Um, thank you so much for this wonderful uh, discussion. This has really been very, very enriching. And I really echo what Professor Asher has uh, to say towards the end, that uh, this has been a great learning experience for all of us. So I would like to pro propose the formal vote of thanks on behalf of the IMPRI Center for the Study of Finance and Economics uh, to our speaker, Professor Arath. Agarwal for a brilliant uh, presentation of her research and the findings thereon. And I would like to thank uh, Professor Shahid Ahmed for uh, his uh, points, for, for his inputs. Uh, the chair of the session, Professor uh, Mukul Asher, for joining us and for adding to the uh, richness of this deliberation. And most of all, thank you to Professor Nalin Bharti for leading and moderating this uh, discussion and the discussion series. I would also like to thank everybody who has watched us uh, here on Zoom and also on Facebook Live. And all those uh, who would be watching us later on our YouTube channel and listening to the program on our different podcasts. I thank all of you for this and uh, for your presence. I hope that you all will tune in to our future episodes of Talking Trade, the State of Foreign Trade. Wish you all a very good day and please stay safe. Thank you.